to Jerusalem Lights with Rabbi Chaim Richman, whose goal is Torah for everyone. I'm your co-host, Jim Long. And now, Rabbi Chaim Richman. Shalom, co-host Jim Long. Shalom, Rabbi. And I'm speaking to you, of course, from the the, the Ozark Hills here in, in, in Middle America and uh, keeping safe and sound. Please tell me, uh, what's it like for you today and for your family? I, I know that things are really, really getting uh, tough in Eretz Israel. Well, first of all, a, a hearty, heartfelt shalom to all of our wonderful listeners, wherever they may be, and may they be safe and healthy. Amen. Uh, and well. Well, actually, in in the land of Israel, um, I think that um, the, the the spin really of how to understand it is that is the attitude and the and the um, and the measures that are being taken by the government that are that are um, basically increasingly severe as far as the 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 um, aspect of the lockdown, and it's all for our protection. Really, um, we are in a situation basically now where we are. Uh, in everly increasingly severe measures of lockdown and an effort to stop the spread of the virus, we're, we're not to leave our homes other than for absolute necessities that, that have been approved, such as uh, buying food and medicines and helping others um, that, that are more, more vulnerable. Um, we are actually instructed uh, other than, other than uh, the permitted activities like those who have an authorization to work and for buying food, we're really not supposed to go more than 100 meters from our homes. Um, and, and so it's, it's really impacting everyday life because it means that children and grandchildren cannot uh, visit for fear of infecting their elders. Uh, this is all enforced by the police, by the way, <laughs> with actually stiff, stiff fines and even even arrests in, upon occasion. Um, and I, th- I think the underscore here is that, you know, the world, everyone, everyone within our listening range is going through such a major change. Uh, it's really uh, practically impossible to put into words, I think, that's and that those are the feelings that are going through the minds of uh, and felt by the hearts of many, many people. It's taking us so long to process and to really articulate what it is that we're part of. And of course, we do believe that everything our creator does ultimately is for the good, even sure. if it's not revealed to us, even, even if the reason is not revealed to us. And as I have been saying consistently, and I feel this so strongly, all of humanity now is united in a new way. And really, like never before, and, and so it's unprecedented. It's an unprecedented time in human history that we have a common goal, and and although we are, you know, all experiencing this social isolation, we're still afforded an opportunity to deepen our relationship with each other in a, in a new way, and certainly to deepen our relationship with God, each of us in our own way. Well, I, I know we can see it here, uh, here in the U.S., and that is that it is, um, it is an acid test. It, it's a litmus test. Uh, Hashem is making it so that the, the the best and the worst of us is coming out, and and we're seeing it in in the. Uh, I I even get tired of us talking about it. We're seeing it in in the media. The 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 media is proving to be. Uh, in some in some respects, uh, it is uh, it's not our best friend these days. 
Um, the the, the people in the media has been for a long. It hasn't been our best friend since Walter Cronkite. No, I, I'm completely, and I, you know, please allow me uh, to say this with some authority. I was I was in uh, in broadcast radio beginning in 1967, and I worked in radio for close to a little over 30 years. And I think I've mentioned this to you before. I saw the change in news reporting, in the attitude. It changed, and uh, I worked with a lot of uh, younger people coming up in the ranks, and I noticed that they all had one thing in common that was shocking to me, and that is they had a, a, a complete disregard for history. And for anyone who wanted to be in journalism, I thought that was an anathema. I thought that was a, a warning sign to me that uh, uh, of, of a very uninformed uh, literati, if you will, and uh, people in the people in the media are, are saying the worst possible things right now. There is even uh, I know one of the guys at CNN, Don Lemon, said that we shouldn't even listen to the presidential updates every day, uh, even though he's surrounded by experts in the field who, who whose lead uh, he is taking. And um, you know, if you're tuning into this program and, and and you hate President Trump, I'm sorry you feel that way. Get a life. I'm just going to say it. Uh, you know, we need leadership right now. We don't need politicians. We need leaders, and that's what we're getting. I noticed that Bibi has even quarantined himself as a, as a kind of an example. Yes, for, it was actually from an abundance of caution. He had been exposed, uh, I think, even, or actually he, it turned out he hadn't been exposed for two weeks to one of his advisors that tested positive. And although he tested afterwards uh, and everything is fine and he's completely negative, he did want to set that example. But Jim, it, 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 it kind of bothers me also that we're even having to go in this direction and that we need even to mention these things because I th I think that when when uh, whether it's the media that are that are doing this or other people, I think to politicize this situation to interpolate mm -hmm. onto it political angles is 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 so um, um, impertinent, not not prudent, yeah. improper because we are we are in an unprecedented time. It doesn't matter. It's not it's not a time for a, a proportioning blame. Uh, it, and it certainly is a time for leadership. And we are basically being given a unique opportunity to renew our relationships with each other and and also to appreci appreciate each other first of all for 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 uh, identifying with another person's plight and suffering and expressing true caring and concern on an individual level on a national level on a global level nations have to help each other individuals have to help each other it, it's certainly a time for for um you know, for, for growing. And, you know, I got to tell you something that I consider to be so encouraging, Jim, so many people that I'm in touch with and that have been writing to me and that I'm trying to encourage and we're trying to encourage each other. And I'm, I'm trying to, to provide a Torah mindset. You know how many people of the, on their own are shining in the darkness and growing and saying, I can't, I can't even count how many people have said to me, I think that God is giving me an opportunity to grow. Amen. And that is yeah. so, that is so encouraging to me that when we come out of this onto the other side, that I'm so hopeful that it will be to a better world. Because first of all, I really do believe that it's up to us to make it into a better world. And, yeah. and, and, and one thing that I'm, 
I'm seeing so much of is the is the authorities in Israel and the various officials that are basically trying to slowly, gradually accustom t- people to, to hearing that whenever we return to normalcy, and by the way, no date is predicted for when that will be, um, it will not be the same normalcy. It will not be the same situation that it was before. I don't know what that means exactly, but but um, things are apparently going to be different for a while. I, I think that testifies to the, the extent of what's going on now. And as of this moment, I mean, I, I, I don't, you know, we're not a news program, Jim, but, you know, I, I'm following the numbers and I think we're moving up over way over 800,000 um confirmed cases throughout the world at the moment and um well you know the 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 people our our brothers and sisters uh and our families in the urban areas they they really um they, they i'm praying mostly for them because i was looking at the map of the u.s today and the concentration of of cases and um it's it's stark because you have, for instance, you have here in Arkansas. We're a very rural state. We we basically have, you know, maybe three major population centers, and then you look at Oklahoma. They're they're very much the same. So, the cases that we have right now, uh, well, as I as I as we're doing this show today, uh, we have around five hundred and sixty uh, confirmed cases. Uh, and uh, thank God, only only eight uh, uh, deaths so far. But in Texas, the numbers exponentially rise up into the thousands, and it's because, of course, Texas has you know uh, the major cities of of some of the biggest cities. You know, we have San Antonio, we have Dallas, Fort Worth, Houston, um, and and so we we have kids who who live in New York who have gone out into the upper state New York. And I, I think that um, this is where we're seeing that, that a lack of social distancing is, is really dramatically impacted. California is having crazy numbers right now. And New York has unfortunately has become yeah, the epicenter. The, the epicenter. And, uh, I, I personally have, uh, have experienced a, a loss uh, in um, extended family this week in New York, and oh. uh, unfortunately, I think a lot of people still don't understand how very real the danger is, for t- particularly for older people. And um, it is it is a very serious situation. And I think that that again, it, we, humanity has one common goal now, and that's that is to get through this. And uh, I think that that it is largely a time for growing for uh, for us for uh, concentrating on how we want to be, how we want the world to be. And usually, the way the Torah works, I think the, the way the, the way the world works in the Torah's perspective of history mm-hmm. is that things are basically up to us, and uh, it's up to us to strive to bring more light into the world. And 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 again. Well, I, I was. Uh, it needs I was to be reset, Jim. It's a switch. Yeah, it is. I was looking at. Here's to a better world when we get to the other side. You know. I believe that. I believe that, and I believe, and, and if you'll you'll permit me, I I believe that um, uh, this is just my worldview because I think I think that we will be looking to to your nation. I think we'll be looking to Israel for innovation in in this area 
Uh, I'm always impressed by what I see coming out of Israel. Have 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 uh, done so for years. Uh, I was telling you before the, sh- the show that even my own living situation has improved vastly be- thanks to Israeli technology. Uh, I went to the doctor a few weeks ago and I looked at a new piece of high-tech equipment over there and I said, what is that? And he said, oh, it's it's a, you know, and he told me the, the lengthy name of the thing. And I, I said, wow, I, I said, that's really amazing. He says, yeah, we got it from Israel. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, the thing is, is that I think that Hashem has blessed the, the people of Israel. Uh, you, you know, the, the, the foregone conclusion is that you're blessed with the light of Torah, with with uh, with being able to teach uh, the nations that there is a God and, and the nature of Hashem and his plan. But you're also, the, the, the people of Israel are also blessed with the light of technology. Uh, we're seeing innovation right now in that Israel is, um, I think, number three or four uh, behind the U.S. in in innovation. So, uh, Baruch Hashem, I'm looking that that Israel will not only show us the way out of this, that that even the way that uh, you and your families are responding personally to this present problem is is uh, uh, an example for the rest of the world. Amen. Um, our so, prayers are for, are, for, are for all for everyone for the whole world for every, all for everyone that's listening and everyone that's not listening to stay healthy and safe, and always to be joyous and to be focused on the prize right now, which is getting through this. And I would say also practice social the social media distancing. Uh, stay away from negative uh, people, negative uh, horrible comments about. Oh, we have that social media. So we, but let's use it responsibly. Yeah, let's let's keep let's keep social media distancing for good mental hygiene. So. Yes, and <laughs> I think that um, this is this is such an important time for for all of us. And 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 honestly, the the the, um, the confluence of all of this going on in this season with these Torah portions, it's it's also amazing to me. If I might speak about that just for a moment, because you know, and, and by the way, next week uh, is already the eve of Passover. Passover falling on Wednesday night of of next week. Um, so next week, because Passover is already the night of Wednesday the eighth, we're not going to have a, a podcast, but we will have one, God willing, during the week of Passover itself. So if I might just speak for a moment also a a little bit more about this idea, you know, the whole concept of of Passover is about leaving the the narrow place behind, you know, that Jim Mitzrayim Mm -hmm. means Um, basically constriction in a narrow place. And, And it's about, it's a certain experience of transcendence and it's, it's almost like a blending of, of past and present and future, and 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 it's so amazing that when we have that seder, you know that that festive meal, Passover night, wherein we commemorate the Exodus, you know the Haggadah, which is the ancient text that we use to uh, express our thanks uh, to the Creator for the redemption and to observe the the, the day. Uh, one of the famous statements of the Haggadah is that uh, whoever does not uh, picture himself as if he personally left Egypt this night has not fulfilled his obligation. Yeah. Right. Whoever doesn't personally feel that they, that, that Hashem actually took us out of Egypt and I left myself, you know, 
they have they haven't done it they haven't they haven't uh, fulfilled their their job so you know one can ask what, what does that even mean you know how could you be expected to feel something that you uh, that happened thousands of years ago and that you clearly weren't part of and and how could how could the torah you know slap that obligation on a person and, and so notwithstanding the fact that actually you were there <laughs> your soul was there but besides that the idea is that it is a an opportunity it is a time for um, latching on to the potential inherent in the day to be liberated, to, be, to, to put the past behind us, to be free, to leave and the enslavement of Pharaoh and what Pharaoh represents, which is also mental slavery, as Bob Marley sings in Redemption Song, Emancipate Yourself from Mental Slavery. And that's really what Pharaoh really represents, the Sahara, the evil inclination, the spirit of negativity, everything that's holding us back, including our own fear and anxiety and vulnerability. There is an element for the whole world, not only for Israel, on Passover to avail itself of the ability to get free. And it's all about destiny. It's all about faith. You know, matzah is actually in the, in the mystical writings of Torah called the bread of faith. And by the way, it's also called the bread of healing. And frankly, Jim, the world could use a strong dose of both right now, of oh, both yeah. faith and healing. And, well, and, and the prophetic, it's no secret that, uh, that Egypt is prophetically and symbolically the, the values of the world uh, that are, that are anti-Torah values, that are anti-God values. And the, the idea that we're approaching a celebration of leaving Egypt at a time when we, we are basically all, <clears throat> we're, we're literally being pulled out of the, the mainstream the, uh, of, of, of Egypt, of, of the world's values by, by being forced to be uh, at home with each other by not partaking of the marketplaces and the 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 uh, all of the troubles that we can get into by simply being out there in the world well uh, within you, that the confines of our of our space though i mean yeah. what would we be accomplishing if all we're doing is we're taking it inside with us because that you can do that so easily with your with your handheld but so we the thing is the the opportunity that we have in in the in the space is to is to make the decision, and this is this is I think it, it, uh, there's a process going on of of sifting, of mm -hmm. of refinement and, and of shaking. You know, like I, I was mentioning to a friend this week, the verses from Haggai where Hashem says, "I'm going to grab the whole the whole world and shake it, mm -hmm. and the finest things will come forth." You know, Hashem Hashem is shaking up the heavens and the earth. And that, and that's what that's why I keep calling this a reset. I don't have a better way of of describing it. It's a reset of the whole of the whole world. And the thing is, we could build a new world now. And and uh, I really believe that it's it is up to us. Passover, more than anything else, really brought hope to the world. Hope for for liberty, for justice, for anti-slavery, and uh, and. Um, this is you know, this is really what what our what our opportunity is now. What our challenge is. I I, I love that you're saying that because my fear uh, all, all my life. Uh, I I I, uh, I think all of us, everybody in our age range, we on a subliminal level always sensed that, that there there was a reset coming, 
And if this is the way Hashem is going to shake us up and give us a chance to literally hit the reboot, I think I would much rather, you know, God forbid that, that, that people are losing their lives, but I would much rather it happen this way where we have the chance to do something about it than, than the, the alternative. And I'm talking about the, a nucle- the, the nuclear uh, holocaust that could happen. You know, Hashem, in His mercy, is saying, I'm going to put all of you in a place where you're going to have to see that, that it's not working. And, you know, I don't, I don't view this. I've never viewed disasters or catastrophes. Even though God is in charge, it's, it's, the, the idea is, is that Hashem, because of free will, Hashem has allowed these things to happen. And say this is what this is what happens when when you are left to, when humanity is left to its own devices. Um, this is what this is what happens when you don't follow simple precepts about uh, cleanliness and 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 uh, hygiene and even the treatment of animals, etc. The, the and, entire and how, thing. How about the treatment of each other? How about the treatment of each, of each other? other? I, each I keep other. thinking to myself. I know maybe I'm really extreme about this, but I keep thinking to myself. And I've said it a number of times in the past couple of weeks. You know, all of us are confined to our homes, and it's billions of people now. What What is it, more than a fifth of humanity as, as of yeah. this moment? It's billions of people. I mean, India alone exactly. is 1.3 billion people who, I mean, these, these figures are, are staggering, right? So we're all, we're all connected through social media, and yet we're all isolated from each other. And everything is uncertain. The future is so uncertain. Like I say, like returning to normal. So we, we, I mean, a, a month ago, whoever, whoever imagined that, that we would be in this situation that we're in now. And, and, and yet, even though we are isolated and, and yet at the same time connected, what I think that, you know, it's a bit, it's a bit of, of a, maybe a, a bold thought, but I, I really feel that there is a certain degree of mida connected mida here. I, I don't want to, again, I don't want to join the, the chorus of all of the people who say that they have the answer right here in the palm of their hand and they know exactly why this is happening. And, and, you know, this is why it's divine punishment. I'm, I'm really not doing that, but I, but I feel in my own life very strongly, if I, if I might say, you know, I'm not, I'm not prescribing and I'm not preaching, but I, I, I just feel from my own knowledge uh, of Torah and, and experience and the way that the way that I see the world, I think, I think there is a, a very simple message here, which is that, you know, we, we have hurt others so badly, like you say, with, with social media, we, we have become so desensitized to real human emotion, real human connection. Everything has become so virtual that now we've been, we've been put into a situation where that's really, what all we have really we can't yeah. hug anymore you can't shake someone's hand anymore you can't look into someone's eyes really and tell them how you feel so so maybe this is our chance to make a tikkun because it's not you know nothing is a is a, just a punishment from hashem I, it, that, that's not how it works we're not that's not our god but it is an opportunity for us to reset ourselves and and that's why i keep saying what kind of a world do we want it to be who do we want to be when we grow up how do we want the world to be we have the opportunity here to to really reset ourselves our hearts our our understanding and take a good long look at at how we communicate and, and, and you to know, try to rebuild here, to try to rebuild the, the, the post-flood world. Yeah. 
Yeah, the the um, the thing that is always fascinating to me is I used to look at the the Torah portion, and especially especially when we get into uh, the pages that we're into today and in this week in the, in these these next few weeks, and I would look at them and I would I would skip over Parsha Zav because I would think, how in the world does this apply to our present situation. And I alluded to that just a second ago, because as I was rereading it uh, last night, it, it struck me again, how very prescient the idea of what is going on in this Torah portion over the minutia, if you will, of uh, the, 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 the uh, olam, the, the sacrifices and the korbanot. And it was fascinating to me to read that, uh, and, and I thought, hey, you know, you know me, Rabbi. I'm always looking for uh, the, the 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 sort of what some people might consider the spices that are, you know, the the the, the curious uh, nods to uh, how can I how can I point what's going on in this parsha to what's going on today? And and again, I just alluded to it and the idea that uh, uh, bring up a very very graphic and a very you know uh, distasteful thing. Some of what is going on today came out of these wet markets in, in China. And yet we look at the Torah Parsha and the priests, many of the korbanot are eaten, are they not? And there are there are parts of the animal that, that the priesthood, the Kohanim, are told not to eat. And they they there there is a washing of the meat for the for the korbanot. There are things that they do not eat. There are certain fats, there are the heads, the entrails, these are all burned up and, and not consumed whatsoever. And uh, I, I look at this as saying that, you know what, uh, yes, I am Hashem, I created all things, but I didn't make everything for you to eat, okay? And just like you shouldn't go out and eat a, you know, a stick or a rock, there are certain parts of animals that you don't eat. And I'm, I hope I'm not bringing things on to a too, too mundane a level. No, I think <clears> you're, I think you're, uh, you're spot on. Now, now the thing about this week's Torah portion, Parshat Sav, first of all, you know, it's a continuation of last week's portion of, of Ayikra. They both describe the service of the Korban note, but, right. but one main difference is the perspective of that last week's portion of Ayikra is from the vantage point of the one bringing the offering. Whereas this week's portion of Tzav is from the perspective of the Kohen. Yeah. And there's a lot of rules that relate to the offerings that are relevant to the to the Kohanim that are officiating in, in the divine service. The thing is, um, every aspect of what's going on with these offerings is uh, part of the process of, uh, a, 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 of a deep psychological process that, that leaves an individual profoundly affected even chastised, even spiritually cleansed, um, because, th th you know, th this isn't magic. There, This isn't replacing a human with an animal. This is about um, the, the significance of the relationship between within a person uh, between himself and himself, between his godly soul and between his, his more base instinct, as we've been talking about. So there, there's various... The things that are described here, there's the mincha, the meal offering, the chatat and asham, which are sin and guilt offerings, the shlamim, peace offerings, the todah, thanksgiving offerings. And all of these korbanot offerings are applicable to various situations. 
and the the bottom line is it is all about coming close to Hashem because that's the function of everything that we're learning about and and the purpose of everything that takes place in the Holy Temple. But it, but it, there's a constant effort going on to separate between the animal nature and the and the and the godly soul, uh, which sometimes is is sullied. Um, and so you know this this process that's going on all all along is about drawing close of a person's own free will and about making this distinction and every aspect of these of the details that we're reading about as far as the, the, the various limbs and what's to be burnt and what's what can be eaten at all uh, it's it's kind of beyond the scope of uh, a podcast because there's so much knowledge and information and meaning about everything that's going on here. Uh, can, I, can I ask you something as a point of clarification about this, Barsha, that 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 I I perceive, and I hope it's not a misperception, and I wanted to ask you this, uh, that, that the the distinction between last week's Parsha, or even the previous two uh, Parshiot, and this one is, um, we talked about, we talked about in the previous uh, Torah portions, how there was a, a, uh, a, a bringing a forth of Hashem said from your heart, uh, bring these offerings as your heart moves you, and and the difference at least I see this and I need I need your clarification on this. The the distinct difference is that this parsha is called zav, which I believe is the same root as mitzvah, command. command. Okay. Sure. Is is Hashem not? Is there not a distinction between the fact that in the previous portions Hashem says, "As your heart moves you, this is what I want you to do." But I want you to do this according to the 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 the, the you know the initiative of your own heart. And this parsha, God is saying to to the Kohanim, "I command you." Now this is the way you have to do it. You is is. Is that not the distinction is that we go from the, the, the leanings of the heart to look, if you're going to be part of my priesthood, you have to do this a certain way. I'm commanding this. Exactly. In other words, it's still a question of the heart. It's still a question of one's desire to have this experience. But Hashem is saying, but if you're going to do it, it must be this way because this is my perspective, he's saying. Right, right. So exactly. if, you, if you're going to do it, I, I, I command that you do it this way. But everything here, again, is designed for the uplifting of a person. And, and, and you said it in the very beginning, Jim, how you used to skip over these Parshas. And unfortunately, a lot of people have that attitude. It's like they're, they're like, how can I possibly even make this relevant? And again, all of that comes from um, a... Uh, a uh, an inherited mindset that we have, which is foreign, which is not uh, which is not ours, which is not Torah, which is not Jewish. It is the mindset of of a pagan world that is looking at at this as as um, through those through the lens of what that that world perceives this whole thing to be about. Whereas actually, Hashem has designed it here for a constantly evolving. Uh, species man to 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 constantly be moving and and elevating and changing and and redefining itself all the time and 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 honestly I think we can relate to the, to the fact that this is the danger uh, you know in, in the human experience is in becoming old and becoming worn out and becoming insensitive 
and that's again, if I may uh, speculate, kind of what, what's going on now. How we have the opportunity now to reevaluate and reset. I just want to give you one example of how of how this whole thing works. Okay, so we we begin Parshat Sav. And uh, of course, Bezrat Hashem, with Hashem's help in, in our video lesson this week, we will uh, examine a number of points about what's being discussed in Parshat Sav, as, uh, you know, uh, to, to whatever extent we, we can. And in the, in the podcast, it's, it's kind of just difficult to, to learn about the whole Parsha. I want to say, though, that, you know, we, we, the, the Parsha begins in, in Vayikra, uh, Leviticus chapter 6, talking about what's going on in the proximity of the altar. Right. This is the law of the burnt offering. It is the burnt offering that stays on the flame on the altar all night until the morning. And the fire of the altar should be kept aflame on it. And, uh, you know, the altar is very, very significant. The place of the altar, it's, it's, you could say it's the heart of the Beit HaMidash, of the Holy Temple, because everything takes place either around it or near it, all the offerings, the daily offerings, the additional offerings, the individual and congregational offerings, all the major ceremonies in the temple take place near the altar. And so, you know, uh, and, and I spoke about this also in, in last week in Parshat Vayikra, the whole idea of a person coming to this place of contrite spirit, of, 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 of trying to, to, to reinstate his, his humanity, of, of trying to understand where he's been, where he wants to go, and, and he comes to the place of the altar. And do you know that there is a, a deep teaching that the place of the Mizbeach, the place of the altar, is the place from whence Adam Harishon was created. Have you heard that, Jim? Sure. Uh, and then it was uh, that literally the Holy of Holies in uh, the temple was literally the site of that original Mizbeach, where where Hashem, where he was created, is that not correct? Well, close. There's an idea that there's a there's a, a relationship, uh, like a spiritual conduit between the place of the altar and the place of the of the Ark of the Covenant, uh, yeah. and and that the and on that level of that of that parallel dimension, as it were, the the Holy of Holies is the place of the Tree of Life. And the yeah. and the place of the altar is the place of the tree of knowledge. But there, but there is a statement that the midrash makes that that Adam was created from the very spot which brings about atonement for him. And again, atonement here is not about tit for tat. It's not about replacement. It's not about something dying in your stead. It's about realigning and realizing the sanctity of life and and re. Resetting again. How many times have we said that? And 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 you know, recalibrating and realizing what I've where I've where I've gone askew. So the the precise location of the altar is so exact from the very beginning of time, um, and uh, that this is where this is where uh, King David uh, had mapped out the altar and actually had himself dug the foundations for that was later to be actually built by his son King Solomon. And it was on the spot of the altar that that Avraham bound Yitzchak. Okay, that Yitzchak, the binding of Isaac, took place here. Yeah, right. Um, so, so th there's a there is an amazing, you know, um, process that's going on when a person comes to this place, and and uh, has kind of this uh, 
experience of knowing this is this is where I come from. I am a dumb. This is where I come from. And I want to get back to basics, you know, why is it that 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 Adam was created from the place that brings him atonement? What what what, what does that even mean? It, it it means that the process through which a person can elevate his own humanity by emphasizing the difference between between Adam, between man, between his life force, between his job in this world, his distinction, his privilege, his chosenness as Adam, and and, and that of the rest of the world. It, it it all configures around this place, which is kind of like the celebration of the of the of the life of man, and and frankly, again, you know, unfortunately, there is a there is a a um, blurring in this world uh, between man and an animal, which is uh, has a lot of repercussions in everyday life. Yeah. Uh, well, the thing me. that the thing that I I find fascinating about uh, the the uh, every every Torah parsha, if you really look deeply at it on on the the most uh, primordial level, it seems as if every Torah parsha, the the uh, when you the, the layer of messages that that Hashem is is uh, teaching us, the 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 beginning the 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 most the core teaching always seems to be in in the words of Joni Mitchell. Let's get back to the garden, and and I, the the funny thing about this is I, I this, this struck me so strongly uh, a couple of years ago when I was reading this parsha, especially this one, which which I used to find so difficult. And, and Baruch Hashem, it is Hashem has opened up this this Torah parsha to me in that you know you, we we look at this the, the whole parsha is just simply about. Uh, the investiture, how to, how to, how to, uh, uh, what they should eat and, and what they should wear, the Kohanim. And isn't that really what happened in the garden? Is that now we're, we're going back to the garden and Hashem is saying, uh, guess what? Here's something that I'm commanding you that you can eat. This is not forbidden for you to eat. So the the Kohanim in in the stead of of Adam Rishon and Ahava Eve, they're literally eating food that is permitted to them, and there and then secondly, God rewards them by saying, "I'm not going to put clothes on you to 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 protect you from being naked. I'm going to clothe you, the Kohan Gadol and and the Kohanim in in clothes of glory because you have." You have consumed the food in a proper manner, and and because food- Hashem commands, and because you it, you have the heart to want to come close to Him, and then Hashem says, "So then, do it this way, please." It is a model world, yeah. And and so much of our experience today, our world is is virtual, is not real, and and that is what the tabernacle, ta- holy temple experience is all about. It's about something that is so uh, tangible so so real it's a drama that's unfolding in the life of a person wherein he's constantly challenged to try and um, elevate himself above the confines of 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 the murkiness of what of what this world can be yeah well, I I think that I think that there is another thing going on. There is another mechanism going on here, in that 
we are in a place right now, this very moment, for all of us that are listening to the podcast, for you and I talking, this particular global experience is a reflection, I believe, of the attitude that we have for this very Parsha. And that is, is that if you read this Parsha about the the uh, uh, taking these kosher animals and preparing them for offering and and putting them, you know, taking their lives and offering them up and putting them on the altar and burning them, eating some of them, burning them. If you read this, this is this is very much a reflection of what's going on in the world today. Hashem, I think, is giving people an opportunity to admit to themselves in this present circumstance, do you believe in me? Because you and I both know there are even Jews who read this and go, this is disgusting. I, I can't read this. I, and I'm saying, no, you read it because there is beauty in this. There is a model for even in these seemingly mundane operation in, in that uh, the, 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 the fire the fire can never now go out, and and it's all about service to to Hashem, which in 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 essence is service to humanity. And that fire, you mentioned it, the fire is the on the altar is the heart. The passion is that fire for service of the priesthood, and it's saying to Israel even today, "You are my priesthood." And the fire in your heart is supposed to continue every day. This is exactly the, me- the, the, the meaning of the verse. Uh, yeah, the yeah. fire shall burn there on the, on the altar constantly. It shall not be extinguished. You know, uh, you said it also, Jim, uh, in the beginning uh, when you mentioned the word sav, which means command. And uh, there are so many people whose attitude is, uh, you know, this is antiquated and outdated and uh, I want nothing to do with it. It is, um, I have to apologize for it. It's, we've evolved since then. And um, what right do we have to take an animal's life? Uh, you know, who, who would do such a thing? You know, I'm okay, you're okay. They have the same, the same rights that we do. And, and the difference is that Hashem begins by saying, "I command you to do this. I didn't Amen. ask your opinion. This is this is how I want you to 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 conduct yourself. I want you to go through this experience." And the, and the bottom line that a lot of people can't accept and won't accept is the the next the the next part of that sentence is Hashem is saying, "Because you are more important to me than the animals and everything that I created." It doesn't mean that we're not compassionate. It doesn't mean that you're that you, God forbid, a person should be cruel to an animal. But this is actually a sanctification of the animal world. And Hashem is saying everything that, and this is what people can't get through their heads and don't want to hear because it gives them too much responsibility. Which, of course, is the bottom line of the entire Holy Torah: is taking responsibility for ourselves and our place in the world. But Hashem is saying everything that I created in this world, I created for you to be able to utilize in order for you to get closer to me and for you to have a positive experience. And you are the most important thing. Everything else is secondary to you. It's a restatement of the command given to Adam Rishon in Gan Eden, is that he was not only, he was to keep the garden, he was responsible for everything in the garden, including the animal realm. And not only that, but if we don't have this perspective of, of Hashem's point of view, which is basically what Parshat Sav, this Torah portion really is all about Hashem's perspective. Mm-hmm. If we don't have it, 
then we can also uh, slip into a place where we don't appreciate our self-worth and we actually idealize or idolize the, the other the other part of the world. And I'll give you an example of, of what I mean. Because you said earlier something about how everything that Egypt represents is, uh, how did you put it in a very, very stark way about what Egypt represents? Well, it represents the, 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 the mores and the ideology that is anti-Torah. Oh, it, it, so it, it, it rejects the worldview, the Torah view of the world, and it says the worldview of Egypt is the prevailing worldview. Right. It's how you should live your life, and it's, so and it's not. So here's the amazing thing about that, if you, if you open up your heart in the deepest way. This Shabbat, this coming Shabbat, which is the Shabbat of Parshat Tzav, right, is also called Shabbat Hagadol. Yeah. It is called the Great Sabbath. It is not one of the four special Sabbaths that precede Passover. It is the Sabbath that is actually before Passover Eve. It's called Shabbat Hagadol. The Great Sabbath. And there's a number of reasons for that. One famous reason traditionally for why it's called Shabbat HaGadol is because it comes from uh, words that we read at the conclusion of the Haftarah, the prophetic reading for this Sabbath. It comes from uh, the prophecy of Malachi, which is um, as follows, the words where he, re where he states... In the last verse of the of the Haftarah of Shabbat Hagadol, in, in Malachi chapter three, behold, it's verse twenty three. I send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and awesome day of Hashem, and he will turn back to God the hearts of the fathers with their sons, and the hearts of sons with their fathers. And so, um, because it's called uh, because the the verse states the coming of the day. Hagadol of Ahanora, the great and awesome. And that's uh, a verse that we read. So some people opine that that's why we call it Shabbat Hagadol. But there's a more basic reason why it's called Shabbat Hagadol, because it refers to the great miracle that happened on that, on that Shabbat. And what was it? It goes back to uh, the Torah portion in uh, Exodus chapter 12, which is Parshat Bo which we read in the Shabbat of, uh, of, the, of Chodesh Nisan. And chapter 12 tells us that Hashem commands to Moshe and Aaron that on the 10th day of the month, each person will take a lamb or kid for each father's household into the house, right? What, what happened? What, what do we read about here in uh, chapter 12 of, of Exodus? It shall be yours for examination until the 14th day of this month. The entire congregation of the assembly of Israel shall slaughter it in the afternoon. And then they would put the blood on the doorpost. This is the first Passover, right? The Passover right. that was yet in Egypt. So, so yeah. God commanded them four days in advance to take the lamb into the house. And basically they tied it to the bedpost which yeah. is in itself a very, very deep thing. Why the bedpost? I have, I have a whole idea about that, if, you're, if you care to hear, but that's not my point right now. So they took, the, they took the lamb, they tied it to the bedpost on the 10th day of the month, which that year happened to be a Shabbat. Mm -hmm. and, and they kept it in the house until the 14th, the afternoon of the 14th, the eve of Passover, when the Korban Pesach, the first Passover offering, was brought there in Egypt. And then that night, of course, was the Exodus so, so what happened here? 
the Egyptians worshipped this animal. Right. Ari, they, as it, we call it Ares in, in the, the, the Mazal, the, uh, the, the ram. The, the, uh, in fact, all of the plagues, all of the plagues were tied to an Egyptian god. So listen, the Egyptians worshipped this animal. Open up your heart in the deepest way and listen to this, what's going on here, right? The Egyptians are worshipping this animal. And that day, the Jews go out and each one takes one and starts to pull it into the house. And they're all standing around, Jim, the whole nation. And they're all saying, like, what the heck are you doing? What do you think you're doing, Jew? <laughs> really? What are you doing, Jew? Yeah, and they all right. said, and they all said, we are going to slaughter this lamb because God told us to do it. Yeah. And you know what the sages say? They all just stood there with their mouths open and they just were totally struck with awe. Awe. Mm -hmm. And they and they couldn't they couldn't move. They couldn't they could they could say nothing. They couldn't respond. They were like they were they were just totally transfigured by the audacity, chutzpah, the holy audacity mm -hmm. of, of the Jewish people. And um this was a great miracle that they that they they didn't even respond. I don't know if it was such a miracle or if this is what true Jewish destiny is really all about, true Jewish uh, fortitude, moxie, however you want to call it. But on the, on the deepest level, I think what this is really all about is, and this is just so amazing to me and, and really dovetails into what you were saying about what, what Egypt represents. Jim, what is this story really all about? This, this, this Shabbat is called Shabbat Hagadol. And it's all about this verse that I just read that Hashem instructed them four days before the Exodus to take the lamb into the house. And, and the Egyptians, you know, their reaction was just absolute uh, stupefaction. But what, is, what this is really telling us is so deep is that this is what the Jewish people are commanded to do then and today in that world and in this world. The job of Israel is to slaughter the idolatry of the world before its very eyes. Yeah. And whether or not we are willing to accept that mandate, whether or not we, it's comfortable for us, whether or not it's politically correct, whether or not it's popular, we can't get away from it. And, and I'll explain what I mean by that too. We can't get away from it. That is our job in this world. We slaughter the idols of this world before the world's eyes and teach the world to be liberated, to be free, to leave it behind, to leave the narrow place. And also notice how this dovetails so strongly with Parshat Tzav, like, like we've been saying, I command you, Hashem says, do you mind? This is what I want. This is how I want you to do it. It's not about your opinion. You're sensitive to the animals. Be sensitive to yourselves. Don't be an animal. This is what I want from you. This is what takes place in this place because this is the central arena for the evolvement of your spiritual maturity. Mm -hmm. but, I ha but I have this idea that I, that I, um, that I really believe is true that, I, that, that I've been thinking about for many years because our sages tell us, you know, nothing that the sages say is anecdotal. You know, they, they have these incredible insights that are, that are strong poetic vehicles for, for us to uh, be able to um, 
understand something on a very deep psychological level. And, and they go out of their way to tell us that th- this is not in the verse. This is the tradition that, that Moshe gave over, that this lamb was tied to the bedpost. Yeah. Why? Why the bedpost? Why go out of your way to to tell me that? Was it was it to bring the was it to bring the the lamb to where it became part of the family and and the, the uh, there was an idea that that uh, the sacredness of of uh, of of the bed. I don't know. I mean, well, well, certainly, if you are raising an animal and looking into its eyes, sheep sheep's eyes are are are, are pretty human as well. You know, there's something about yeah, them. That's if you're a very sweet it, animal. It will it will become you know more difficult for you and more and more of a deep experience. But what I was thinking is, you know, the bed is the comfort zone, Jim. You know, hiding in bed, pulling the pulling the sheets over you. It's a it's a a concept that we're all familiar with, you know. It's like it's like leave me alone. It's like that's my one safe spot. Mm-hmm. And so Hashem it's said, "It's my sanctuary." It's exactly, my sanctuary. Exactly. So Hashem said, "You know what? Are you listening to this? Like, open up your heart in the deepest way." This is I, I am. <laughs> Hashem is saying, "You cannot escape me. No. You cannot escape me. You cannot escape your destiny." This is it. There's no rehearsal. This is it. You take it, and the one place that you might think to go and hide from me and and comfort yourself and cover up, and maybe this is going to go away and I'll wake up. It's just a bad dream. No. Take the covers off your eyes. There it is, staring at you in the face. This is who you are. This is your job in this world. Take it seriously. This is who, who you are. You are entrusted to break down the immorality of the world, to bring the world home to me. That's, that's what this is all about. And so, and so too, you know, now, now, Gemma, I just think it's so incredibly powerful that we're all going through this now. Pass over, you know, pass over, pass over it. And, 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 and we're all, we're all stuck, but yeah, isn't this, isn't this ironic that we're all stuck in one place Wow, isn't that Don McLean, American Pie? And there we were all in one place, a generation lost in space. Right here we all all stuck in one place, and yet we are about to tell the story of the exodus of 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 leaving this constriction into into freedom. We're about to we're about to sit at the Seder night, the night of passage, the night that we actually left Egypt. And yet here we are stuck. How, how does that even work? Humanity is is all like bound up, but yet we're talking about escaping from bondage. So so it seems to me that it's perfect. It seems to me it's not ironic. It seems to me Hashem is not laughing at us. Hashem is not teasing us. It's it's. I can't even say it. It's so powerful. It's almost as if Hashem is saying, "Do it now." It's like act it out. This is this is it. This is it's real. You you know, it's like it's like Hashem is saying, "This Passover, you know, you're no longer telling a story. You're no longer commemorating something that really happened once before. This Passover, you need a new Exodus. You need, like never before, to tell this story of freedom and to live it. Yeah. And and when you eat that matzah, which is bread of faith, which is bread of healing. You know, we have to we have to recall that story, but yet lead our own ways into into a new one, into building a new a new 
a new world. And, 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 and you know what else comes to mind? This, this verse in Parshat B'Shalach. And this is, this is here, this is unbelievable. What happened? They crossed the sea on the seventh day of Passover. And, uh, and uh, they, come to, they come to Mara and the water is bitter. And uh, Hashem shows him, shows him the, the tree and he throws it into the water. The water becomes sweet. Hashem says, if you hearken, this is in, in, in Exodus 15, the end of chapter 15, if you hearken diligently to the voice of Hashem, your God, and do what is just in his eyes, give ear to his commandments and observe all his decrees, then any of the diseases that I place in Egypt, I will not bring upon you. For I have Hashem, your healer. It's like we we are basically like, oh my goodness, talk about reset and restart. It's as if we are able now to relive all of this in a brand new way and so that we could build a new world, an, a, a world where there won't be sickness. Hashem is saying, I am your healer. I won't bring the diseases upon you. But, but when, if you hearken diligently to the voice of Hashem, your God, and do what is just in his eyes. So I'm, I'm not... Uh, being a doomsday preacher, I'm saying, can't we at least just think to ourselves, have we been hearkening? Have we been doing what's just in his eyes? And if we look at ourselves, each one of us, and and find a place that could be healed and find a place that could be improved, let's let's do it. Let's do it together. Is, let's let's make a commitment. This is so stark. This is so absolutely stark. I, I think that uh, being in in Israel for this Pesach, will probably be one of the most remarkable experiences for for you and and all of your uh, all of your family and your your the, the family of Israel in even even those that are in the diaspora you will have to remain in your houses as the plague passes by it's it's just it's it's Talk about a... It's mind-boggling. You know, it's mind-boggling. Mind and and it's, everybody is at home, Jim, and this is like someone said to me, historically, Yeah. if you want to hear something outrageous, outrageous, mm -hmm. a thought, this might be the first time in history since around the era of Hanukkah when, when Jewish prayer was basically prohibited. In, in you know communal prayer. And, and now, of yeah. course, it's, it's prohibited for for uh, the sake of, of preserving life, for the sake of, of pre preventing the spread of infection from, from uh, distancing. And of course, it's not only Jewish prayer, it's all prayer of all people that is, that is, uh, has to be alone now. All gathering has to be curtailed. But so it's such an incredible moment in history when we have to totally, totally examine ourselves and, and it's harder according to Torah to elevate uh, a prayer when you're by yourself that, you know, the, the, the whole concept of community prayer is that it has power and, and, and an individual prayer uh, is it's harder to elevate. It's, it's more of a the challenge. Idea of the, of the minion, right? Yes. The minion is the idea of that. Yeah. And, and yet the this thing. is the situation that we're all in now. We will, we really have to, Again, it's just, it's like, it, it, it seems to me that even though we're all apart, that we're, that in many ways we're being challenged to be more connected than ever before. Yeah. And, and I would, I would submit that, um, I would challenge any of you listening, uh, to read Parsha Zav and, and, and really, uh, this reminds me, uh, of 
the, 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 in some respects, there is reminiscent for all people right now of what was going on in the pre in the antediluvian world, in the pre-flood world, when 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 people said, basically, uh, you know, the, the the idea being that uh, people in in the the days of Noah thought that as long as they were alive, that they were living the lives that God allowed them to live. Because they lived so many years that God said, well, if they, they said among themselves, well, basically, uh, uh, I must be living right because I'm still alive because God, quote, hasn't killed me. And what they did is I'm, I've heard d- described as uh, there's a concept where the, the pre-flood world uh, actually split the attributes of Hashem. And they said, they said amongst themselves, those of the flood generation said, um, um, if they had been given a copy of this Parsha to read, they would have said, except for one family, the pre-flood world would have said, I don't want to worship a God who would allow animals to be treated like that. I don't want to believe in a, I don't want to believe in a God that allows uh, death and they they made their own judgment. They passed a judgment on the Creator, and they 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 basically they forgot they for, because Hashem comes from a place of of uh, at the same time of mercy and justice. They, See, they no, coexist. People don't want to admit that man is holy, that man has holy potential, that human yeah. life sacred and 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 so what really goes on in the holy temple is it is a it is a validation of and a celebration of the sanctity of human life and really of all life because now what what happens is that the world is a slaughterhouse mm-hmm. and and has become totally insensitive yeah there is this idea that there is this idea we we can't prove it of course but there is this idea that when the temple was in full Blossom in the in the days of Shlomo HaMelech, that in the when everything was being done according to his command, to Hashem's command, and the and the daily uh, korbanot were being were being uh, in, in operation, that there were no world, there were no wars in in the world, that bloodshed had come to to either not existing or was at a complete minimum. There is possible. an idea. That, that our sages express. I think it is historically accurate that the first 40 years of Solomon's temple, there was not one war anywhere in the world because that was yeah, a whole, yeah. a whole spirit, spiritual harmony of, of humanity. You know, Jim, I, I wanted, I wanted to bring something up to you before we run out of time because you're, you're a professional Egyptologist. And so this whole season uh, must really resonate with you because you've spent a great deal of uh, your life um, working on the whole concept of um, the, the, the historicity of the biblical uh, rendition of the Exodus. Yeah. I caught a I caught a um, an item in the news. Actually, was it was reported several weeks ago, but it's still being reported that there is an extremely I quote an extremely alarming desert locust swarm forming in the uh, uh, forming in the Horn of Africa that is set to descend upon the Middle East just in time for Passover, but is predicted to skip over the land of Israel. And the article described it as a plague of locusts, the likes of which have been unseen for over 30 years, about to hit Africa and the Middle East. And it's called a perfect biblical storm. Wow. Um, 
And apparently there's a, an, there's a, an organization called Locust Watch, which is a division of the UN's Food and Agriculture Organization that is um, monitoring this, uh, the, this um, migratory pattern of the desert locust, which is the, quote, the most destructive migratory pest in the world that, that apparently uh, is um, growing to millions right now of, um, of individual units that apparently, uh, what did I read here? Can destroy, each one can destroy, uh, oh, each one, uh, oh, the, I guess the swarm has the capacity to consume the same amount of food in one day as 35,000 people. In any event, uh, gosh. There, 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 you know, and of course there is a, an ancient Egyptian document that attests to that particular plague and and others, and, and we we speak about it in, in, in my documentary and in my book, and, and the fact that the the uh, the famous Epawar papyrus actually has an Egyptian sage lamenting the fact that there is no green thing, there is no herb left in the fields. Wow! And uh, we'll, if we have a chance, uh, with your permission, uh, it, it may be in the next uh, podcast uh, for during the week of, of Pesach, maybe we can talk about the how the Egyptian historical record reflects the reality of the Exodus experience and the and the uh, the plagues. Wow, that's a great idea. That's something to look forward to. That'll be such a great show to have during Passover next week. So I will very much look forward to that, Jim. Thank you. Well, let's also do want that to, um, I'm sorry. No, no. I said let's do that, and of course, explore the spiritual impact. Obviously, of that, I'm I'm looking forward to hearing about what what I'm, I'm, and I would urge people to tune in. And uh, this is a shameless plug on my part. I I'm very much looking forward to hearing uh, because we'll do the podcast after uh, you you've had your first the, the Passover night, right? Uh huh. So I I would I'm looking forward to hearing about that experience from you, uh, what what it's like to have uh, the first night of Pesach in Eretz Israel during this amazing time. And we'll talk about uh, the, um, the historical uh, aspect of, of the, the plagues and of the Exodus. The Seder is all about giving over um, the, um, the concept of, of Hashem taking us out of Egypt and the birth of freedom for all of humanity. Um, say there means order because there is an order of events that are followed uh, during that that evening, and uh, there is an order to the world. There is an order to the world. Everything does make sense. There is a creator, and uh, that night that we're all going to be talking about escape uh, from bondage, let's all earn our own exodus uh, back to back to freedom. Uh, we'll tell the story of. Uh, of our exodus from Egypt and whether we're having a Seder with family or whether we're all by ourselves or tell it to ourselves, that's the most important thing of all. That well, we tell ourselves to, that we can become yeah. free. I'm look, so looking forward to that. And, and uh, we'll, we'll open the uh, next week's podcast with the question, why is this podcast different than all other podcasts? Excellent. So, <laughs> uh, by the way, I want to I want to do I want to do a little uh, plug uh, for the, the organization that you are now uh, the head of, which is uh, the Jerusalem Lights. The, the URL is www.rabbirichmond.com, 
The email is rabbi at rabbirichmond.com. Okay. I want to remind our listeners that um, this Sunday, God willing, we will be having another Zoom session, um, mm-hmm. getting ready for a Passover. We had two, two really nice sessions the past two weeks on the subject of prayer. And any of our listeners that have not yet written in uh, an email requesting uh, the um, the sign information, the, the password, and the meeting ID and can are invited to do so. We're, we're going to start having these Zoom classes only by uh, ID, just because of some interruptions that are going on in the world of Zoom. We're advised to um, to set a password for the meeting, and everyone is invited who writes in and can receive the password in advance. And even though, again, we are all isolated in our own lockdown, there are so many opportunities that are presented to us all for reaching out, for acts of kindness, for checking up on those neighbors that may need help. And um, there are so many things that we can do to tip the balance of the scale of the world now. So these are all ways that we can help each other during this time. And we should be looking for those opportunities um, because nobody is really alone. Nobody should really be completely alone. All right. So I want to wish all of our... Let me take this opportunity to say uh, in advance, Hag Sameach. Exactly. Wish all of our listeners a wonderful Pesach, Festival of Freedom. May we truly merit to leave Egypt behind, to walk upright towards recognition of Hashem's sovereignty in the world towards true freedom and towards the dignity of man towards a new world towards healing towards the love and light of Hashem in this world and our true true connection to each other and may it be just all for blessing and health and safety for all Amen Amen